Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Taking a look at some of the global news headlines that you should be paying attention to this week. Joining us now to take us through them, Rich Preston, Senior World News Reporter and Presenter at the BBC in London. Thanks for joining us, Rich. Hi, Bharati. Good to be with you again. So, Rich, let's talk about South Korea first. And we're going to get to the joint military drills that are taking place this week with the US. But first, of course, tragic scenes there over the weekend as more than 100 and 50 people jammed into or died after they were jammed into narrow side streets during Halloween celebrations. They were crushed to death. What more have you been learning in the last few days about what's happened and any updates on that situation? Yeah, these really were, as you say, tragic pictures. The official death toll is now 154 people, but there are many still critically ill. So officials say that figure is likely to rise. Now, this happened in Itaewon, this this party district of South Korea. And because South Korea had such strict lockdowns during COVID, this was really seen as one of the first opportunities for lots of people to go out and party. Lots of bars were open, and that's been blamed on the sheer number of people uh, who were out uh, celebrating that night. And because of the nature of the crowd, Sadly, many of those killed were in their 20s and 30s, and it was mostly young women, actually, who were crushed to death. Um, uh, an investigation has started. The president, Yun suk Yeol, says they want to get to the bottom of what happened. Now, critics say that there should have been more police, but officials say more police wouldn't have necessarily you know, stopped the number of people. Um, a memorial has been opened and people have been laying flowers at the site and also at Seoul City Hall. But we will be watching this investigation as it gets underway. Yes, indeed. The world will be watching. Our hearts go out to the South Korean people. Some Singaporeans in that crowd as well. But, uh, of course, they're okay, thankfully. And certainly we'll wait for updates on that and bring them to you as soon as we have them. Rich, here's something else that's making the headlines. The U.S. and South Korean warplanes beginning their largest ever air drills. Yeah, that's right. Now, these take place every so often. You know, the the US and South Korea are strong allies. But the reason these ones matter so much is because of a current state of heightened tension with North Korea. Now, it's repeatedly test-fired several missiles. That always puts South Korea and countries like Japan on edge. Analysts say this is the worst the situation has been in the last five years because, of of course, North Korea doesn't consult its neighbours. It doesn't give them advance warning. It just sends these missiles up. So these drills this week will involve about 140 South Korean planes and about 100 U.S. Air Force jets. Now, South Korea and the U.S. say these drills are to ensure a state of readiness because of these North Korean missile tests. But North Korea says the missile tests only happen because the military drills take place and that as soon as the drills stop, they will stop. So it's a case of neither side really wanting to back down. But because of these drills this week, that will anger North Korea. We can expect a few more missile launches from them, I think. Mm, Certainly. And anything being said about the scale of the drills this time round? Why so large comparatively? Well, I think it's because of this heightened tension you know as i say analysts say this is the worst it's been in five years uh, mm. several missiles gone up just over the last few weeks and so this really is a case of america and south korea each wanting to show the north 
we've got more, you know, more firepower than you do. It's 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 a bit of a warning to North Korea, but honestly, not a warning that North Korea is likely to take any notice of. Mm. I mean, it's been years of brinkmanship, hasn't it, on this front? It has, and we repeatedly see these military drills. You know, these ones involving the U.S. and South Korea. Occasionally, we will see larger drills involving uh, Singapore, Japan. You know, uh, navies as well getting involved. These ones are just air drills. And the whole point of these is to show just how quickly the U.S. and South Korea can respond. And and that's the point when it comes to air drills. It's about the speed. You know, when it comes to the drills that involve the navy, that's about the military might. You know, you get these huge battles ships assembling, you have these war games going on, and that's about, you know, a real show of force and firepower. When it comes to the air drills, that's about speed. Look how quickly we can have jets in the sky. Look how quickly we can respond. If you're going to start sending missiles in our area, look how quickly we could get planes up uh, shelling your missile sites and taking you out from the air. So that will be uh, what's worth watching this week on that front. Rich, let's turn to Israel. Israelis go to the polls in yet another divisive election tomorrow. This is the fifth one they've had in four years. Now, the reason they have so many is because politics in Israel is very fragile. And normally, the governments are a coalition government. You don't normally get one uh, party winning a majority. And the thing with coalition governments is, of course, as soon as there's an issue that causes any division... People fall back to their party lines and the government crumbles and everyone has to go back to the polls. And that's what's happened this time as well. So uh, that's why we have so many elections so often in Israel. Uh, This time, Benjamin Netanyahu wants a return to power, despite being mired in corruption allegations, allegations he has always denied, I hasten to add. Now, he leads the centre-right Likud party, but... The thing is, if he's going to be successful this time, he's going to need the support of parties much further on the right, particularly parties which operate under the banner of the so-called Religious Zionist Alliance. Now, one of those parties is the Jewish Power Party. It's run by a guy called Itmar Ben-Gavir. Now, he's seen as a political agitator. Security is a drum he regularly beats, and it has been a particularly violent year between Israelis and Palestinians. Now, he's seen as popular with lots of younger people. His appeal is that he doesn't sugarcoat his words. He doesn't speak in fancy political terms. He's a straight talker. He's very much like President Trump, President Bolsonaro. It's that kind of rhetoric. And one thing he said is that he wants to expel disloyal Arabs from Israel. Now, the current government, led by Prime Minister Yair Lapid, is also in the fight in this election, but it's seen as weak. And the reason it's seen as weak is because it doesn't take a strong stance, really, on any major issues. The one issue it does take a strong stance on is the issue of we don't like Benjamin Netanyahu. And when it comes to social issues, issues around you know, the environment, things like that, that's, that's not really a, a, you know, strong, a strong enough issue. Um, that may not be enough to win them the election. Uh, what could be the downfall of Mr. Netanyahu, however, is this kind of alliance with the far right. Now, Arabs form about a fifth of the Israeli population, so the, the language he's been using, they may come out and vote against him because of that. What are the key issues for the voters? We always talk so much about the candidates. What are the voters concerned about? Well, security is actually a big one. You know, there's been waves of attacks on Israelis, um, both in Israel and also um, you know, counter-raids by Israeli forces in the occupied Palestinian territories. So 
as much as, you know, we look at elections in you know, Singapore, the United States, Britain, and people care about social welfare, the environment, the economy, things like that. But in Israel, the issue that really actually does get people's attention is security, because it's a state in this constant, you know, state of heightened tension. Mm. And, and Israelis really do value security, generally speaking, more than those other issues. I mean, of course, the economy matters to many Israelis, the environment matters to many Israelis. But really, security is the one that, that gets people's passions flowing. Well, we'll certainly be watching those elections to see how they land. And hopefully there won't be another one for some time to come. Now, there's something else going on this weekend that a lot of us will be watching. World leaders heading to Egypt for the COP27 Climate Summit. Tell us what you expect to see there in terms of key yeah, initiatives well, is, and discussions. Yeah, this is taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, coastal resort. It's running through until the 18th of November. This is, of course, the annual get-together where countries check in on each other's progress on climate change and uh, see how they're doing on various agreements that they've made and every so often they'll reach a new agreement. Their COP27 will be the first UN climate conference that's been held in Africa since 2016 when uh, when they held it in Morocco. Uh, now there's a hope that that will bring a bit more focus to the continent because of course Africa, predominantly poorer countries, and it's these poorer countries that are disproportionately affected by climate change. And you know, many countries in Africa repeatedly call on the likes of the European Union, the United States, to do more to pay to help mitigate against the effects of climate change. Now, of course, the, the big agreement that everyone always looks back on was the Paris Agreement of uh, 2015, of 21, this agreement to limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now, at COP26 in Glasgow last year, there were claims that not enough action was being taken. So this is another opportunity to look at what different countries have done and reassess how, how they're going. There are going to be around 90 heads of state there. Joe Biden will be one of them. The White House confirmed that over the weekend. One that will not be there is Rishi Sunak, the new British Prime Minister. Yeah. He said he won't be going. He has more pressing issues at home. But... And I stress this, but uh, he's got a lot of pushback against uh, against him on that from opposition parties and from environmental groups. So it's possible he will change his mind. We'll wait and see. King Charles will also not be attending. Now, when he was Prince Charles, he was happy to get involved in political matters. He went to COP26 in Glasgow, but now he's king. He has to kind of keep a distance from politics. There will, for the first time, be a formal representation of young people at COP27. There is going to be the Children and uh, Youth Pavilion. But there's a real fear uh, that many countries just aren't on track for the promise they made in Paris in uh, 2015. And the problem is that the people are distracted. You know, there's rising energy costs, rising cost of living, and of course, the war in Ukraine, meaning lots of countries are more focused on the short-term need to respond to that, that they're avoiding their long-term needs to respond to climate change. Yeah, that has certainly been a point of contention for the last year or so. I have noticed that you guys have a report on your website saying that Rishi Sunak could still attend the climate summit. But how would you explain his resistance to it at first? Why, why did he snub it so easily? Yeah, I think I think that caught a lot of people by surprise um, because Rishi Sunak is seen as a moderate and because the, the climate is such an important issue. But his excuse, his reason was that he has more pressing issues to address at home. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, that is absolutely true. There's been political chaos recently. The, the economy's suffered. 
Uh, and there really is a need to have a strong sense of leadership. So many are praising Rishi Sunak for doing the right thing and focusing his priorities on what's going on at home. As I say, there was critics saying he really needs to, to be seen to be being a world leader when it comes to tackling climate change. So this pressure is on him to get to Egypt this weekend. Mm, It's sort of similar to the story that you were telling earlier about how world leaders have had to reprioritize in light of COVID-19, the energy crisis, so on and so forth. And unfortunately, climate seems to have been put on the back burner. And hopefully they'll come to realize that this is something that will help them deal with the medium to long term challenges. Many thanks for that, Rich. Rich Preston, senior world news reporter and presenter at the BBC in London. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.